This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest, Esther Rosenberg. Thank you for joining me. Hi. Nice to be here. Yes. yes. Um, so, before we do get started, tell everyone a bit about who you are and, like, what you do. Um, who I am and what I do. Well, I am a production designer. I'm probably, like, an early career production designer. I've done... A lot of ads. I've done a lot of short films. I recently did my first feature film, which was a very big deal, and I'm very proud of it. Can't wait for that to be in the cinema, um, which was Wormwood Apocalypse with uh, Kia Roche-Turn as the director and his brother Tristan. They're kind yeah. of like a creative duo. They're like the real like indie. You they're know, the powerhouse. They're indie. the real <laughs> indie powerhouse in Australia. They do some crazy, very, very yeah. cool stuff. So um, that was brilliant. And then I also... Um, I come from like a concept art storyboarding background. Mm. So I studied uh, very fine art, very classical fine art at Julian Ashton's like painting, Mm. sculpting, charcoal, like very like 1800 style stuff. Um, And then I went to production art department, which is like, it's illustration, but it's for production. So it's like, it's probably more aimed towards like games and like live action film. It's like really designing spaces and designing characters and designing the feel of things on paper, concept art, storyboarding. Mm. Um, and I've worked a bit as a storyboard artist and I've used my concept art skills for pitch decks and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so, so you, a whole mixed bag of things. That's awesome. So you've like you've kind of just been this like powerhouse from a young age as well. Is that kind of like where it all stemmed from? Um, I sort of knew from being like very young, like maybe being 12 or 13, that I like wanted to build sets actually like my mum was very um musical like my my family's from like the soviet union and my mum was like a violin teacher and she played classical guitar so like we weren't like super rich or anything yeah pretty like you know we didn't have that much money but she would like save up to like go to the opera and like do that kind of thing and like you know it's like 300 dollars a ticket so it's like a very big deal and like you know she'd take us there and i remember like seeing like the sets there and just being like really wowed and feeling like it was very like beautiful but I didn't sort of have an idea that you could work in film like I thought like working in film was like a magical thing that film people did somewhere else in like a different universe that was very separate from normal people and then like obviously my parents being like immigrants like that was not a world that you know you have to like if you like to draw then you have to maybe be an architect or something Mm. like that um so I went and I, I got into like industrial design and I did that for a year and I was really quite bad. Well, maybe not bad, but definitely highly average. Um, I just found that like, because industrial design is product design. So it's yeah. design of like mass produced items. So things like anything from like a pen to a lipstick to a car, just like any item that is like going to be mass produced in a factory basically. Yeah. Um, and... I just found that like when I had to design things or think of things that had no narrative element, like when it was just like think of a toothbrush, there were some people that were really like amazingly good at it. And I just, it's almost like, I think people have different kinds of creativity. And for me, it's always been very much like if you told me design like a toothbrush for this character who like lives on a space station, then I would have like a hundred ideas for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But if it's a generic toothbrush, you'd, you'd Just be like. Just nothing, you know, and it's, yeah, it almost like it doesn't speak to me. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I got a scholarship to study at Julian Ashton. So I dropped out of uni to go ah. s- study at this atelier 
um, yeah. which like an atelier is very much, um, it's really, really different to a university yeah, structure. Yeah. Anyone can go there as long as you pay the money for the classes, which is much cheaper than uni or even TAFE. Yeah. And like you just have sort of like masters or people who are very good at painting or drawing. They've been doing it for a long time. And you just go and do their classes and you can study for as long as you like. So there are people that might do like a Tuesday night class for 10 years or something, you know, like there's no like curriculum. Well, there's a curriculum, but it's not like you do this set thing and then you pass your exam and get a mark. So you just end up studying with this whole cross section of like older people and younger. And then if you're quite good, they'll give you a scholarship to study there for free. So I studied there for free for two years, which is the only way I could have done it because my parents wouldn't have paid for it. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, um, and then afterwards, I went to production art department and and kind of like rolled in from there. Yeah, because I had the drawing skills and I knew very much that I wanted to learn to draw, even though I had no idea what I was going to do with it. And then after studying there, I'm like, I want like a profession. I want to be able to make this skill something that can become. Obviously, you can be a fine artist, but it's sort of not. That's not as much me. Yeah. Um. And then my teacher, my my actually my favorite teacher there who was the oil painting teacher like ben ben smith he's maybe friends with me on facebook maybe you'll listen to this but like (laughs) i love that guy um and he went he's such a good teacher and then he was leaving ashton's to go teach at production art department oh yeah and it was just a very small college really really good college we had like four teachers that were all just amazing industry professionals and very small classes like only six of us actually finished Okay. Yeah, so it's like a very little, um, little tiny private college, and then everyone that I finished with is like super talented and doing incredible things. Oh wow! Yeah, and d- d- like that's that's astonishing. So and then and then when did like when did you get kind of thrusted into doing like film stuff? Yeah, film stuff. When was that kind of like kicked off for you? Well, when I was at production art department, they really like they did not like that like normal art education in universities or whatever has like a writing element to it. Like that was very much like that was the point of difference that in university they make you write essays, but at this college we actually learn hard skills about how to draw well. But because they needed to cross some dot some i's and cross some t's in order for us to get a diploma, they would like have to. But they would try to make the like writing component as simple as possible, and it was like very much just like you know they'd pass you no matter what you wrote like what they cared about was your yeah. actual drawing skills but then like you know they made us like do some stuff and through doing one of these like writing assignments that they were like it's very unimportant that's actually how I found out what a production designer was because I'd never even heard like the title and I, I sort of and I remember like looking at um, these different production designers and looking at their sets and how the concept art translated into the set and I was like oh my god this is like really cool this is what i want to do and then we had a talk by this guy called dane hallett who's um he's oh yeah do you know dane hallett he's I like d- a, don't i i think the name rings a bell yeah yeah he's a, he's around he's a very talented guy he's done a lot of concept art on mm-hmm. like alien he's made a lot of, like he's made a lot of his own short films like yeah. he's a real um he's just a great artist and great filmmaker and he came in and just gave a talk to us and in his talk he was like oh I I don't want to like sit here and like tell you about like concept art or filmmaking whatever you'll you learn that at school like and I'm not going to be able to teach you much about that in an hour anyway so like if there's just one thing that I want you to take away from this talk and he sort of explained his own journey and he was just like 
Like you need to like find the opportunities that you want and not sit here and like wait for them to fall in your lap. Like I guarantee in your email list and like the people that you've met, there's like someone that you know that you could talk to, that you could like reach out to. And if you've got a really good attitude and you're really open and you're mm-hmm. a real go-getter and you just talk to people, say that you're interested in something, there will be like opportunities there for you. Mm-hmm. And that sort of really struck me and I was just kind of like well I want to work in film it's not going to happen like I'm just this illustrator no one's going to come and like find me and invite me so I just sort of just went on Facebook and just like joined different you know afters boards all those kinds of different things and just started really messaging people and just like volunteering for things and just like I'm here this is my you know I'd show people my drawings which usually um, you get a bit of a foot in the door because people yeah. can see that you've, you know, visually that you've got a bit of an eye at least. And um, yeah, I just volunteered for some free work and I met some good people and just put my hand up to do film stuff. It's um, it's pretty similar actually to like when people go to afters or whatever and then they just do the student films. And so yeah. um, it was just kind of a bit of a process of that and then once I had a bit of experience it just led to some other opportunities so it was a lot of like hard networking at at the beginning and just kind of like pushing yourself yeah to a degree I don't really consider myself I I have tried to network in that quite deliberate way Mm. not like much but I've definitely like been like I'll go to a thing or I'll do this thing to see who I meet or whatever and I know that like for different people it works different ways but I think at least for me it's just more like the work just speaks for itself. Like if I've already agreed to do something because something about the project appealed to me or, you know, whatever it was, it was just, you know, usually it's just the right project for that particular time, you know, like you've got the time and you've got the space and it's like the right thing. And then if I've already agreed to it, I'll just, I'll just really try to do my absolute best and, um, and give it everything. And then, you know, usually, someone's impressed and maybe that leads to something, something else. else yeah. yeah um w- did you feel like that um like especially because now you've done Wormwood 2 yeah which you know is your big feat yeah um did that did that feel like a whirlwind kind of change for you as well was that kind of like just a bit nerve-wracking when you started oh when I first read Kia's script I got dizzy like I, I read it and I was just like I have to sit down after reading it because <laughs> I, I mean, I really liked the script. I thought it was a very fun script. I thought it was, like, well-constructed. I really liked the characters. And then I really like Kia's way of writing as well, which is so, um, like, if you've seen Wormwood or, or Necro or any of his other things, you'll know he's, like, very pulpy and zany yeah. and, like, um, just, like, unashamedly fun. Like, you know how, like, Quentin Tarantino is just, yeah. like, unashamedly fun. Like, this guy got shot in the face and the blood went everywhere and it's just that comic book. So it was um it was very appealing. But, like, reading it for the first time, I'm like, I don't know how to do any of this. Like, I don't know how to – like, the script um, sort of I, – I mean, I don't know how much I can talk about it. Yeah. But, like, you know, there's, like – there's like action sequences with vehicles, with cars being yeah. flipped, with all this kind of um, things that to my mind were like very high budget. It's very stunt heavy. There's like, you know, like I, I have built a lot of sets, but not sets that people have to like bash into. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that had to have a lot of utility as well. Like this moves in this way and this lights up and it has different components, yeah. like just very intricate 
Um, and I just read it and I was like, I know that I really want to do it and I have no idea how I'm <laughs> going to do it at all. Um, but yeah, I was upfront about that and I was just like, I, I don't have experience at this level, but I really want to do it. Yeah. Um, and Kia said to me on the phone, he was just like, you don't have to have experience in order to be a good filmmaker or make film. Like you just have to be smart and you have to have the right attitude. And I think this is your film. And then, you know, afterwards that, that was sort of it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny that you say that because I think that's very true. That's like a, a fundamental statement of like, you don't have to be experienced. Like experience is one thing, yeah. but having smarts and having a good attitude and a good work ethic is another thing. Like, you could be the best, you could be the worst filmmaker and have so many experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, being efficient and, and good and positive and everything and just willing to always push yourself to yeah, the next best yeah. thing, but also be honest is like a whole other thing because there's so many people in this industry that, you know, kind of like Very fudge yeah. fudge their way up to the top. And I'm like, how? Which I really don't like and I've never done that and I'll sort of be the first person to be like, I don't know how to do this and I don't mm. know how to do that because, you know, even on this film but just generally there's lots of things that I don't know how to do but there's going to be other people that do know how to do those things and if you're willing to say, I don't know how to do X, we need to find the person yeah. that knows how to do it then you'll find that person and you'll get a good result. But if you feel like you have to pretend that you know how to do things that you don't know how to do, it will be apparent in the final product that you didn't have the skill set to complete that and it's actually going to reflect worse on you. I, I don't really know how. I, I do agree. Like People get ahead with that kind of dishonesty, yeah. but I don't really know how. I, I think it's like it, it goes to what... Um, you know, people, you know, there was a shoot I did recently and I was asked to do sound and I said, sound's not my background. Like predominantly do a podcast, but that's one thing. <laughs> like mm. sound recording in terms of like, I'm happy to listen. I'm happy to know when something sounds echoey and stuff, but I learned off other people who do it professionally, who do it as their career yeah. and have focused and spent, you know, 10, 15 years. So they've trained me, like they've gone, this is kind of what you look for, but you also can watch YouTube and kind of get parameters. But there's a very different thing of like, um, you know, going with my expertise and editing, um, there's so many times where I go, if it, you know, one thing is I see so many poor films edited, you know, and that's actually quite common. Like, you know, if I can go to a cinema and forget that editing is even a part of it, I'll be like, sweet. Yeah. But most of the time you'll go to a cinema and watch a professional film and you'll still notice when a bad cut is yeah. implemented. And I think there's there's a real sense of knowing knowing what your skill set is but also, um, yeah, being honest about your limitations. And there was something when I, like, you know, fell into doing producing and stuff. Mm. There was something I very much said to most people. I was like, I have no experience in this. Just train me from the ground up. Like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to achieve? Yeah. Because it's kind of one of those things. It's very, um, yeah, it's fun. I love organizing, but I don't love going and being having all these questions and being like, okay, well, these are things I don't love about this role. Like, the, you've got to yeah. find what you love about something and what you don't love because I feel like those are another things that people don't oh, – they just go, generically, I, you must love everything. I love my job so much. There's definitely parts of it that I do not love. But, 
but you know if if you love the role overall you gotta like yeah. find a way oh to yeah be able to do that yeah and I, but do you think that people you know generally and i think it's also like the way education does it sometimes no i don't think every teacher does this but i think there's a lot of times where boards or expectations go and try and make us seem like we're grand and then we get into the real world and we realize how much there is to actually learn and some people never want to go into a filming situation and learn they kind of just go oh i have nothing new to learn and i want to walk straight in and then you watch them crash and burn and like um like Um, i feel like there's a lot of people in this industry who do that yeah and i mean just because of the way we had to run on wormwood because we you know we sort of um were very much reaching for the stars with like a limited you know we, we had some money we did but it wasn't um not enough to be super comfortable so we we relied a lot on volunteers and like film students and um sort of you can see when you and I honestly think like I do not feel people have different opinions about this but I do not feel bad at all about using volunteer work because like I know for me studying and coming from like my illustration background where I had to learn everything on the job if I had had the opportunity to volunteer on a feature film like that while I was studying I just know that it would have been very enriching for me and it would have opened a lot of doors and I'm like very open to like meeting people there are definitely even on this film people that stood out and I'm like well you know this this person I I think you know like they'll probably be hiring me in like five years or whatever yeah um but you can see the different mentalities of people I I think one of the big problems that you can come out of a film school with and you know this is from an outsider because I never went to film school is a bit of a lack of initiative like I Mm. see like a lot of film school students that will like come to volunteer on things and they just sort of wait for you to tell them what to do you know like then you know they don't have that initiative whereas like I think with film especially film in Australia where you know we do have to have that little bit of a Mad Max un- unconventional approach if yeah. you want to get things done that's like good initiative is something that is the most appreciated just like looking around and and seeing what needs to be done and like going out on a limb definitely asking a lot of questions um and just trying to find how you can be helpful whereas i think like a lot of film students are kind of like they don't they don't have that initiative maybe it's yeah. not as encouraged i don't know i think it's i think it's very much like from being i went to a very short film school which was uh, north sydney tafe mm. and that was good because it told you a bit about tv it told you a bit about film um but i remember like a lot of what i learned was self-taught yeah and especially with editing editing i got one editing teacher who taught me the basics of yeah. like some stuff that i didn't know but he said like uh, like i remember the short film i edited he was like this is one of the best ones i've seen edited from like yeah you know when i'm a student and i was like very happy with that but i remember he said it the, he said to me he was like the film you edited was not an easy feat like it had so many difficult aspects that you did really well with yeah. i was like okay awesome there is an element though where i was like i got to, i remember when i was probably very young and i was like I must have been about 23 or 22, 23 doing that mm, course. Mm. I remember thinking a lot more ahead of myself than I actually was. Yeah. And I got to probably about 25 and then I realized where I actually was. Yeah. And I think this happens to everyone at some point, you know, because you come out of school, you go into industry and you kind of like learn. And I've been working in TV for like eight and 
eight years now. And it's one of those things that every time I talk to someone and I hear someone just go, oh, isn't it great to do? And I'm like, yes, it is. But also think realistically how, you know, like how good you are and also how like this other person you're next to has also put the same amount of effort in. But, you know, like you've got a way, you know, it's good to pat yourself on the back and feel good about yourself, but you also got to be realistic about who everyone's around you. Because if you're one of those people swinging and selling how great you are all the time, mm. someone's going to hate you eventually because you're going to be too, too up your up yourself and people are going to take it the wrong way and stuff like that. So it, there's a bit of an element there. Yeah, I think I was quite lucky to be cured of that at a young age because yeah. I mean like definitely in in high school I think everyone goes through an element of having a bit of a like perhaps maybe you have to have even a bit of a self-inflated sense of self to have Was the bravery to yeah, and yeah to have the bravery to want to do something yeah. creative because you know everyone starts knowing nothing and having no skills and if mm. you starting from that point and like looking at some real mass doing incredible work mm. um and you have a realistic sense of what you're able to do, perhaps you like wouldn't even be brave enough to start. But then definitely like when I got to Ashton's, mm. like a big cross section of people, but the the few young people that were there and wanted to make a career as an artist were definitely very good. So it was like a cohort of maybe three or four of us that were very good. And um, Nick in particular is a really close friend of mine he's like incredible and mm. so like always studying next to him you know like maybe just in school or whatever it would have been like wow you're so good at painting but like our stuff was always next to each other so like from 19 I sort of knew that I wasn't the best you know yeah and, and it was it was good it was hard like I, I think it you, you know you you um oscillate between being like wow I'm really great and then like realizing that perhaps you're not as good as you think you are can be quite upsetting especially when you're yeah. young and you can sort of have this um you know, you beat yourself up about it. It's a bit of an attack on your sense of self and, like, you don't know if you're good or if you're, like, worth yeah. what you thought you were. So you sort of struggle with that. But then, like, going into production art department as well, the other people that I studied with were incredible and very driven. And, like, you know, like Nick's working at Marvel now as a mm. background illustrator. Amy and Finn are both in Canada at game studios. Like, they're very, very talented artists. So And we were always together. So it was never... You know, it was never a case of like, I'm just like a big fish in this little pond. Yeah. And then so like going into production design and I knew that I knew nothing because I'm an illustrator. I know how to draw. I think I have like pretty decent fundamental design mm. skills, but um, obviously there's a lot more to production design than just that. And I sort of knew that I knew nothing about it. So it's always coming from a place of being like having to be very open and having to learn on the job and I, I still feel like that very much yeah but that makes it that then in the other side of the coin makes you very like grounded and and humble about your own skill sets as well because it's sort of like um ha knowing knowing you're capable and good but mm. also willing to ask questions and challenge yourself which i think is you know um the the better side of everything and being honest and open about it because self-critique is something that it, i think needs to come from a good positive place because yeah. i love self-criticism if someone wants to give me some i'm like go for it yeah because it's the only way you're gonna learn and the only way you're gonna be open enough to improve mm. but it can like with drawing for me, I definitely got to a place and I, I worked as a board artist. I mm. like worked in a couple of studios. I worked on Peter Rabbit too. So like yes. I, um, I, I did it, but I definitely got to a point where it was like, um, 
I was just so insecure about myself as an illustrator. And it was like, you know, even being in studio was so stressful because I was working with these like incredible artists who have decades more experience than me who are like ex-Disney people and like, you know, very high mm. level. And you just feel, I, I would just feel so insecure about like people looking over my shoulder and seeing what I'm drawing and like just so insecure about not being you know incredible that it just got to the point where it was just I had too much anxiety like I, I couldn't really draw at all and, mm. and then I sort of like definitely at home like at work I could draw I guess you have to you're, you're getting yeah, paid yeah. but then like you know you, you, I'd come home and I like wouldn't be able to do any personal work I just I'd like have these like goals of things that I wanted to draw and things I wanted to illustrate and I just have too much like anxiety surrounding that and then like you know going into production design I sort of stopped a lot like I do a bit of my own concept art but then mm. like I've got like other amazing concept artists that also do stuff for me but I think not sort of pinning my identity on being an illustrator now I, I feel like I'm in a place where I'm a lot less anxious about it so yeah so I guess like and, and perhaps like you know I want to go back to it a bit more but I think um that's kind of the line like you won't need the self-critique to come from a place where you're comfortable with it and you want to improve as opposed to because it can definitely come from a place yes of anxiety and just feeling terrible about yourself and your work which is also it's just as unconstructive as um as having this inflated sense of self and just being really close to anyone telling you anything new it's kind of like these two yeah oppositions and um, posing forces like i think also it's interesting that you mentioned anxiety how to like with the with that has it sort of like really been a challenge with anxiety and working on you know working on things or is it now much more at the back of your mind in terms of anxiety and stress and stuff like how's that mental health kind of it's funny because i think it's been like for for illustration and working as an illustrator, mm. the anxiety definitely got in the way and it stopped me from like if anyone who's done illustration seriously will know how much work you need to put in. It's basically like a sport or like an instrument and you have to just draw all of the time. You have to study all of the time. And like I would like to do those things, but then I would just be I just get too anxious to put in the level of work that I needed to because yeah. just drawing caused me so much stress. And then like knowing that I hadn't, maybe I'd just drawn two hours in that week, that would make me feel even worse again, oh, no. you know, because I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not doing it. And then not. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was, um, that was bad. That really sort of got in the way. I think even though like I did have really good opportunities, I had some great experiences working but mm. I, I just know that was sort of in the back of my mind but then like with production design it was just a completely different experience I think something about it because being an illustrator it's very um it's very meditative you're alone mm. you, you sort of it, it's a bit like monkish you know what I mean like you just study you study anatomy you study perspective you study how light works you study composition and it's these like abstract ideas and then also you sort of like your coordination with your hand and you're just mm. trying to like make these images you know what I mean like it's very um introspective I guess whereas yeah. like anyone who's like worked in film knows that it's the complete opposite of that like there's no time for that kind of introspection like you've you've got a deadline you've got a certain budget you're working together with other people you have like a lot of different things that you have to be focusing on at one time so it's very high stress and definitely especially with Wormwood, that's like the first time I really felt like battling with those stress levels and those pressure levels. Yeah. Um, but 
but I don't have I haven't had the same problem with that kind of anxiety that I've had doing that more introspective work so I think that maybe it just suits my personality a little bit better yeah that's in, and that's interesting because I know that, that like not quite what I expected either because I thought you know you would have probably had a very much more panicked induced when you have to work like constantly so quickly yeah um but yeah it's it's funny because I guess you're focusing on something in particular so it is you know more forefront the anxiety is there so you've got more time to focus on that stresses um I mean, like, how did you, what's the best way that you find coping though with your like mental health and stuff on, you know, in between everything? Is there a like down period for you or is Yeah, well, I mean, I know that like before we started actually, um, you know, doing the podcast, we were having like a little chat on my way in and we sort of were talking a bit about burnout and like that for me is, um. I've just had such close friends that have experienced that and I've just had so many people that I respect so much and think are super talented and just yeah. see them go through that. And so, like, for me, um, I mean, it's tricky because you have to juggle with the financial stress as well of yeah. being alive. If you're, like, choosing not to work for a period, you, you have to be confident that you've saved enough money for that rent, for your food, for your car, for yeah. your, your life. But I think, like, for me, like... I will try to make sure that I have the like, um, I, I don't know what to call it, like the emotional and mental reserve to take on a project. And if I feel like I don't have the emotional and me- so like finishing Wormwood, I honestly have been so lucky to be offered like a lot of things, like maybe three or four things that at a different period of time I would have just said yes to in a heartbeat. And it's been this like slightly heartbreaking process of being like, no, I'm not going to do that just yeah. because I know that um, I'm just really tired and like I'm and, and I I was just operating at such a high level of adrenaline and such a high level of stress and pressure for about mm. five months. And then like, you know, some of the new roles that I was offered, um, you know, maybe it's like an art direction role on a series. Mm. So, so you know that looking at that, that's going to be a very high pressure, high stress role that if you have the mental and emotional reserve to do it would undoubtedly be an incredible experience and all that kind of thing. But um, you sort of can't win by saying yes and then and then getting burnt out and maybe doing a poor job. And or, or even if you do a good job, being in a position where then instead of not being able to work for a few months, you can't work for two years now or something, or you're off the industry entirely. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, it's been weird. I do get a bit stressed about saying no to things that I would like to say yes to, but um, and and you always have that thought in the back of your mind of like, but when I'm ready to work again, is the work still going to be there? Yeah. Um. um yeah. I mean that's that's all that's also like entirely a thing, and I say this to um, most people um, when it comes to emotional burnout. Um, <laughs> one of my best friends he he says this to me because he's seen me have emotional burnout, and it and generally it came from a um, you know like whenever you start trying to make short films or anything, or when you kind of want to make your first big thing. Mm. It's a lot of working out what kind of limitations you have and then also working out like I think one thing that I learned very quickly was how much when when my emotional like world was going to crap, I'd try and control as much as I could within my professional world. Right. And that is a, to anyone who has emotional like this happened to me 2019. If this happens to anyone out there, don't do that. 
It's the worst. You're like collateral damage. Yeah. You're trying to find control power wherever you can because you want to feel like you can do something you know, and have the power over something. It's not what you need. What you need is to spend probably like a couple of months by yourself not focusing on anything and working out on yourself so you're able to have, as you say, emotional reserve yeah. to get move forward to the next thing. And I think to let everyone know that is whether you're in a bad relationship or you're, you know, something's going on in your personal life or whatever's happening, don't let, you know, don't sort of like inflict damage on things which don't actually need to cause you damage. It's why I think I think um, because the industry, we're made of emotional people. We're very much, we, the funny thing is like, I remember something my mum used to say, which when I was a kid, which was don't wear your heart on your sleeve. And I realised this industry, everyone wears their heart on their sleeve. Like literally you will read an email and see someone like crying (laughs) behind these emails Um, because we're all very passionate about what we do. And when we, when it's either an independent project or it's a, you know, budgeted feature like Marvel, if there's heaps of money behind it or, you know, there's bucket, uh, there's limited budget and tight restraints. I think the thing is like sometimes logistically things will change and that's also another thing that's frustrating about the industry because we do have to constantly battle between either budgets or, you know, time constraints or literal restraints that are happening. And you've just got to be prepared for sometimes disappointments when things suddenly just get ripped away because they're like, well, their project's no longer happening because of blah reason, because one, they couldn't get the funding or two, because whatever reason. And I, I know that from a like thing, I've had a few projects that were personal projects to me that never ended up happening because that one, it was either budget or two, I've had people who I was working alongside pull out for various personal reasons. But then I was blamed for it by other people who were external to that. And I was like, well, that's not my fault because I'm telling you with enough notice. But there's always like, you know, it's so hard in this industry to keep everyone on your side as well because people get so attached when they put even a cent in or, you know, like there's this weird emotional thing where it's like you've got to remove yourself from it. That's kind of a side of it that I, like as a production designer, you don't interact with that side, which... um. Which is good because I don't think I would enjoy being. I mean, you are answer. You definitely you get your slice of the budget pie, yeah. and you're answerable for that. And I and I've seen like other um, production designers, kind of like in the low budget indie sphere or whatever, uh, struggle with that. Go like a lot, of, you know, over budget and and have problems. Um, and people will be really unhappy with you, especially like as a production designer, like you're responsible for everything that's in front of the camera and they put like a lot of money into having the crew there on the day, having the actors there on the day. And it's all like, it all hinges upon you putting something up that's good. So, you know, if you're the production designer and you've just blown out your budget or something and then you come to the producers and you're like, well, look, you need to like give me X extra money or you're like, set's not going to be there on the day. Yeah, You sort of, you have the like ability to kind of uh, like hold a gun to people's heads. Do you know what I mean? And so, Mm. um, which is, you know, really bad. So you, you definitely like are responsible in in that regard, and I like try to take that really seriously. Like I honestly care about that as much as the creative side yeah. of things, even though it's not my favorite part of the job, but um, it's a really important part of the job. But definitely, I don't have to sort of like go out and find that money and like get the yeah. money from everyone and then be answerable to everyone's meddling and everyone wanting to have their say and things and I feel like all of that is um it's really difficult it's an important part of getting something made but uh you 
yeah. It's kind of like illustration versus production. Like you've got to have the right uh, personality yeah. for that. It's. It, I call it, you know, I like it that you call it like the slice of pie of budget. I feel like it's the slice of pie of personalities. Like you've really, it's funny the amount of emails that I've had to rephrase because you can't send everyone the same generic email sometimes. Mm. Depends like, but you've got to sometimes write certain phrases so you know you're not going to have an argument with these people. Yeah. Like no matter who you employ or whatever you what do you do? Because if you phrase it in the wrong way, um, someone might take it the wrong way. And I think that's really interesting because you're writing emails as in a producer or as a, um, any sort of like production manager or anything like that, the funny thing is you're not always – you're being told this is the budget you have. Mm. work around that mm. and so you were limited to cutting costs on some corners and you know making things work when you can and all the sorts of stuff but it's funny when people try and add to that budget in things where you've gone no you're limited to this and then additional costs come up there's so many times where you just go where does this additional cost come from yeah. and that's sometimes you know whether or not it's poor budgeting or anything on if it's, i think it's, someone doesn't have enough money for a script that they've sent me yeah. i'll just say no yeah i won't usually tell them that that's why i've said no. i think that's smart though i think that's smart but it's it's interesting because i think um uh i think it's like even when you know there's enough money and you've told everyone this is the budget some people still ask for more money it's amazing because i've had that happen like i've i've said to people you know i've created stuff on minimal next to nothing and i've told people this is the budget and i still get asked for more and i go well where am i pulling this from like the the earth and the sun and i will pull it from the sky like i will go and find a golden hen there's kind of like all these things where people think that money suddenly, you know, whether you not have a steady income will suddenly magically make more money. And I think that's a very kind of like finite limitation. It's not to say it's... It's a, it's a huge part of the job, definitely, like as a head of department. I mean, I think mm. like on... on um. I learned so much about how to budget properly on, I think- on Worm. And it... <laughs> yeah, I'm really grateful for that because I think that's like a huge skill set that... um. It, it definitely put a lot of stress and pressure on me to have to do that, but I'm, like, so grateful for that experience because I feel more comfortable to do bigger yeah. things because of that. And I have more of a sense of, like, how how to stay on top of the money, how to – and, you know, whatever. It's not always in your control. Sometimes stuff comes up that you didn't expect or the director asks for something that he wasn't upfront about and then, you know, you have to be like, well, look, we can do it, but we need this much. Yeah. And, and that happens. Um, but but if you manage it properly, then you know those things early. And, yeah. and that's like the difference. You know, you can be like, well, you know, we've got this much notice. So, you know, do we have this money? Do we not have this money? What's the workaround going to be? <laughs> like we came up with some amazing workarounds that um, like I, honestly, like doing things where it's like, you know, we were getting screwed for time and money and we yeah. come up with something that's that's like a, a cheaper easier very creative workaround that stuff brings me as much satisfaction as as just you know getting something visually right in terms yeah. of the design because it's, it's such a huge part of it like the real life problem solving element and, yeah. the, and managing the money and knowing how much things are going to cost um but yeah it's hard that's a it's a really hard part yeah. of the job it's it's interesting because i love i love hearing people's different perspectives on <laughs> It's because it's because like you'll just hear like so many times I've heard so many budgets go massively over, oh, yeah. and yeah, you're just yeah, like, yeah. how how is that gone? Oh, it's so easy. Yeah, 
Um, it's so easy. No, in our department, really, it's very, very easy mm. to go massively over. It's so easy. You got to like really hold the reins very tightly for that not to be the case. Just because um, I think outside of our department, it's very hard for people to know how that department works. Yeah. It's quite different. It's not just like renting gear and like, you know, you have your skill set and you come with your gear on the day and do the thing. Like you're actually, you're essentially a project manager. It's more similar to building a house or or building an apartment complex that, you know, that kind of construction project also very often goes over budget. So it's, um, so because people don't really know how that department works, art department is always understaffed. I've like never seen it not be understaffed and because it's understaffed and usually there's not enough time, um, but like people will still be motivated to try deliver the product and there's like huge amounts of stress you know people people don't usually know like for example this is a thing that's unfair but i don't see how it could be changed <laughs> our department doesn't get paid for overtime even on bigger things like very big things if it's like a marvel film or whatever if yeah. it's like a um you know, like I've worked at home and away a lot. I get paid if I do overtime at home and away. But, you know, even on like a paid project, like an ad or like a film that's more in the like, you know, few million dollar budget range, mm. our department will not be paid for overtime, but camera will. And that's just because you can afford cameras over time because if they rock up on set and then like, you know, you shoot one hour extra, you're paying them one hour extra. But our department is probably doing overtime every single day and working most weekends so like if they had to pay my overtime it would bankrupt the production and they wouldn't yeah be able to so you know there's like a lot of things um like that I, I think it's it's a combination of you know people see that it's like it's narrative and it's beautiful and it's colorful and they don't necessarily realize that a huge part of it is just project managing just like building like yeah. a basic wide apartment and and knowing like how much the contractors are going to cost and how much the wood is going to cost and like how much <laughs> the screws are going to cost and like when the screws are going to be delivered yeah and, and knowing like how much time it takes to like do a certain piece of carpentry and knowing like that getting a prop from here is going to be worse value than going to the scrapyard and knowing like that you're going to have to rent a vehicle and that you're going to have to have this many people to (laughs) deliver the stuff from the scrapyard. Like people don't think of that when they think of production design and, um, and they don't realize the, the kind of manpower that's required. So I think those are like the main reasons why, that department in particular is very prone to going over budget. Yeah, it's it's funny because like art departments are one of my favorite departments now. And I think it's all nomadically because I know so many people now in it. Yeah. And knowing so many people, it's funny that you talk about overtime because you're right. Like th- th- listening to that, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've heard all the stories about like people not being paid OT. Yeah. And it's just... Yeah, it, for me, it's it's very funny because the amount of outside hours, it goes a little bit into post-production as well. Yeah. And I remember my first ever, my first ever like horror story of any production was um, straight out of uh, TAFE and I did this short film uh, that took me, it was 20 minutes and it took me about six months to edit yeah. because the director moved back to his um, home country of Brazil. So mm. I kept forwarding these high-res files to him I found out he, um, none of the crew members were paid. None of them, we all did it for free because we're all uni students, like straight out of tape. Yeah, yeah. So we all did it bunkers. And then I was like, okay, well, I 
wasn't on any of the shoot days. The sh- we I had to organize some extra shoot days mm. when he had left. So that's weird that I'm doing extra work for him and he's no longer in the country and just kind of like thinking, but I need stuff for the edit. And one thing I noticed at the end of it was he got a professional color gradist, but instead of paying the color gradist, he bought them um, alcohol as payment. Like, right. And I just, when I found out from the production manager, I was like, no, nah, I'm telling everyone in the crew about this because one, this is not okay. Yeah. You can't just like slide that under the radar and think that that's okay and he didn't and the production manager didn't think it was okay because he was a mate of ours and I, none of us have spoken to this director again was it that he was giving this guy special treatment yeah over because like everyone that had worked so hard yeah, yeah and it was one of the things as well was um I, it was sort of like one of my grinding gears with uh, i think editing as well which is when a director will tell you and uh, and not know how to communicate and edit they yeah. will they will go, these are the shots I want sequenced-wise, or these are the tone I want for the film. That's great. But if a director is editing the sequence and then showing you what, how they – it's like, no, you bloody edited the film then. Yeah. Like, fucking do it yourself. I'm not going to do it. Because if you want it edited this particular way, that's you just editing the film and just telling me to do that exact same job without the creativity and without the, the input. And I think it was like the time difference didn't help and the whole fact that – um, yeah, there were so many elements that didn't help that situation. I remember just thinking about it at the end um, that ever, ever since I did other projects, I'm like, they're more rewarding than that one was. And that was my first one out of TAFE was with someone who I went to uni with and realized how quickly I didn't like um, always listening, uh, like always having that input and trying to do OT when it wasn't even getting compensation for it. It was ridiculous. But I did it for the passion. I think so much of filmmaking as well and part of why... Part of why I, I like it so much is it's it's very like collaborative by nature. So it, it you you ha- you can't like there's no one person. I mean like yeah there probably is, but you know but it would be very rare to have one person outside of like an animation in a live action film anyway mm. that would be able to make a film on their own. Like yeah. there's no way, and there's no department that can even function as one person. So, so much of it is like the chemistry and you, in order to make something really good, I think, and in order to like have a really good experience making it, it's gotta be like the right chemistry between the right people. Um, I think like, I definitely do, I've done free work. I haven't in a while, but I, it's not that I wouldn't cause I totally still would, but um. I'm sort of reticent to do big things with people that I've never worked with before. Like I personally would just like to do an ad or like a little something that's going to maybe be three or four days of work for me Mm. just to get a bit of a sense of the person before I say yes to something where they're going to be trusting me with budget and it's going to be like, you know, a month or more of my time. Um, And just, yeah, it's just like finding the right chemistry between the right people and certain teams of people will have that chemistry. I think you have to have the right chemistry with the director. I think that's so important. And I think really good directors will... um, will like love their team they'll like pick people where they have respect and admiration for their work Mm. where their work is sort of kind of gels with what the director wants and they'll pick people that they trust and I think like a really good director is totally like a leader for every department I think like a lot of maybe worse directors will (laughs) will sort of only want to work with camera or only want to work with the actor but like as the director you're like the general like you're the head of the ship creatively and every department every head of department is like 
looking to you. We all want to make your vision. And yeah. I think the really good directors will be able to have that chemistry and have that really good creative relationship with everyone. Um, so, I, yeah, it totally happens that you'll just have bad chemistry with a director or they won't be a very good they won't like be very respectful you know you yeah or like even for whatever reason you just don't gel creatively like the way that you work and the way that they work it doesn't it doesn't work together um and then it's yeah it's awful and you 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 end up it compromises the product as well Mm. and and i think like the chemistry it's got to extend it's like from the top down you want to have good chemistry with the director but then like definitely for our department you've got to have the right chemistry with your team because they're like your platoon like you guys are just yeah. you know you're you're going through the trenches you're in the mud together there's like bombs going off everywhere like you guys sort of have to it's a kind of like love that you have to have for each other and you sort of really support each other and that's when it um that's when it works and then yeah. when you don't have that it's really bad I, I mean, I agree, and I think um, I don't think it necessarily happens for everyone. Like you, I've heard good stories from people's first experiences, and you know they've had great experiences. But I think that one thing that every experience has taught me, and especially, is always what to prioritize and what to really gun ho about, and then what also not to prioritize. Mm. But I think that's for everyone. It's sort of like the one thing I remember, like coming straight out of uni, was not understanding anything about other departments. Now we know so many people from different roles. It's not mm. the best thing ever because you, I can always go to someone, hey, I don't understand this thing. What do you know about it? Because this is generally your role. Can you fill me in on details that I should ask? anyone about yeah. or anything because then you learn it's yeah. it's amazing um like how many people don't ask questions yeah. and it frustrates me yeah. because um i mean there's an there's this bad thing that i think filmmakers also think and i think it's i don't think it's just filmmakers i think it's people mm. we have a term i like calling assum- assuming or assumptions about people and you assume that someone's already doing something and you're like hang on are they though let me ask the question they go oh i wasn't meant to know that i was meant to do that don't assume yeah. always ask yeah and so there's so many people just go oh, okay i guess they're gonna do it and i guess that's like but it, it, this happens to everyone whether you work in the industry or not this is just something that people you know people's lives get busy they forget stuff you know you just got to keep on top of everyone and that as a director or a producer or as a production house you have to do mm-hmm. but it's always good clear communication it goes down to clear, being clear about everything and, and knowing what you want as a director but also understanding everyone's roles and I think like a director any director of any film should really try and put their hand into every other role and give it a shot and like yeah. know, know something about sound know something about art department know something about like um you know illustrations and watch tons of movies play tons of video games like understand what you want and what tone you're setting and what colors and you know all these things because I remember like something that you know they didn't teach you in uni was like um you know color temps what does that color temp i watched so many videos about color temps and you yeah, know yeah. and they're so fascinating like i ended up picking up photography because my dad's a photographer like all these things where it's like my dad will talk to me about composition now and when i see a film that is shot you know like four by three i'm like that's still amazing because obviously they chose that film aspect ratio for a reason yeah. it's not just shot because oh i just didn't want to shoot in one screen no everyone decisions are always made for a reason and it, well hopefully, hopefully for the most hopefully. Smart, <laughs> smart reason but i remember 
there's always like those, you know, I don't like having someone just go, oh, we'll do it this way because it's like, well, no, if as a director and I've directed stuff, it's, I go, no, I want it this way because mm. this is how I envision it and this is how it needs to be. But I've had people tell me, oh, no, you don't want that. And it's like, how do you know what I don't want? Yeah. I, that's an assumption and that's a dangerous thing to go, you don't want that because literally what you're telling me is I just don't want to do that. That's all you're telling me is essentially if you go, you don't want that. And I think that's such a negative like way, way to t- communicate because yeah. it's so lazy. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I definitely like, um, yeah, but I think with assuming that things are other people's responsibility, that's definitely like an yeah. area where you can get into hot water. Oh, so hot. And I think, um, yeah. Has that happened Defin- to you? Uh, not when I've been a head of department because I sort of will um, I'll assume that everything is my responsibility until proven otherwise like within the the visual do you know what I mean like not obviously not it's not going to be my responsibility to get the lighting equipment or or do the cam you know but just like within um, what's written in the script that it exists and is in front of the camera like I'll assume that everything is my responsibility and the way that I'll I'll go about like I will talk to every other head of department and the director and I'll just be like are you doing this are you doing this are you yeah, doing yeah, this yeah. and then like you know if people are like yes I'll be like great that's not on my list but I'll I'll start off with a very comprehensive like especially like with Wormwood being like my first feature yeah. so I um like the one of the very first recce's I did of the site with Tristan, the producer, and Tim Namor, who was my art director. Who, um, if anyone's like into Wormwood and has watched Chronicle, it's like their Wormwood proof of concept. It was viral. It's up on YouTube. It's oh yeah yeah yeah. That. So Tim was the production designer on that. Ah. Um, and he's a very talented guy with a very different skill set from mine. So it was definitely like very interesting working together because he sort of comes from a totally different world but I sort of like had that first recce with those two and we were looking around and I um I showed up with this script that must have had like a thousand and fifty three post-it notes in it of like every different color like it was just like a hedgehog of (laughs) post-it notes all around because I you know like if it says that something explodes and I don't know how it's going to explode I'm not just going to be like well that's not my problem because I don't know how it works I'm going to be like well how is it is it practical is it going to be in post if it's going to be done in post what kind of like markers do we need like what's the green screen so how's it going to be if it's going to be done practically then like who's the pyro what do they need do you know what i mean like if there is no pyro and we are actually going to be sourcing some practical effects which you know sometimes that does happen definitely on wormwood a lot then like what is the solution what's it going to look like what smoke machine you know like you can't um because all that stuff, like it's all solvable if you talk to the right people and you find the right information, but it's not going to be solvable if you kick it down the road and no longer have enough time to solve it. A hundred percent. I And I think time escapes you very quickly. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Which I, I laugh at every time when people go to me, oh, we have heaps of time. I'm like, no, time is irrelevant. Imagine every day is the day before filming. Like, yeah. I think that's the best way to steamroll yourself to kick into action. Because if someone goes to you, oh, we've got three months until we start filming. It's like, well, okay, that's, you know, but let's say it's filming's tomorrow. What do I need to get ready to go? It is different. It depends as well. Like, I mean, I definitely have had different attitudes 
if something is if I'm being paid to do it or if yeah. I'm not being paid to do it as well. Not that like if I've agreed to do something, I'll take it pretty seriously and I'll want it to be pretty damn good because if I'm working on it for free, then my reward or my payment or whatever is that it's like a good product it's something maybe it's not going to win an award but like something that would have a foot in the door you know like something that people might see and it'll stand out because if it's not going to be that then i'll sit at home and eat chips like yeah. do you know what i mean like yeah, why 100%. am i working on it unless i'm gonna have something to show at the end um so that's the other thing like i won't i i try not to work on something for free unless i really believe in the whole creative team and i'm like wow that's a great director that's a great cinematographer that that's like it, it's gonna be good and you believe in it and that's why yeah, you do it. Yeah, yeah. but then like if you're getting paid every day then like you rock up at eight or nine or whatever and you you work do you know what i mean yeah it's, um it's salaried but i i don't know that i agree with your thing about imagining that every day is the day before shoot because the other thing that you have to manage especially when you're working on something long form is your stress levels and they're yeah, gonna that- be through the roof anyway so it's um uh, I yeah. don't think it's the healthiest, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think it. I think it helps me, yeah, particularly yeah. my brain, yeah. because it's like I, it just helps me keep on top of stuff. Yeah. Um. But if you're one of those people who likes, I because I'm a workaholic. Yeah. I love doing stuff, so yeah. it's like if I'm not doing something, I'm going to create something that I want to do. Like yeah. it's it's always that mentality. Um. Yeah, I do. I do also think that's probably not the best way. You to know, because you. Also, like, I don't know, it's it's time management is a skill that is actually really similar to budgeting. Yep. It's really similar to, you know, managing every dollar and, like, understanding mm-hmm. what's been spent and who's spent it and keeping track of all of that, which is um, – and so it's it's kind of the same thing. I, th- I think something that, like, I have um, – I think I'm like learning to not be that way anymore is like, I would definitely get stressed in that way of feeling like something had to be done by a bit of an arbitrary deadline. Mm. Like I would just set, you know, cause you manage your time, you set up pretty much arbitrary deadlines of being like this, this element has to be done by this time. And then this has to be done by this time. And this has to be done by this time. And that's really how I used to manage projects. And I'd get very stressed working to those deadlines. And when you don't know much about it, you you don't have a different alternative. You can't make an educated deadline. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you end up doing all-nighters and like killing yourself to meet these arbitrary goals. And perhaps you haven't understood exactly how many people you need to do a certain thing. Whereas I think like definitely on wormwood like it was five months so like if you know and we struggled even as it was to just keep uh, you know keep a good level of energy and so like if we'd worked that way we wouldn't have made and like also like you have like a massive you know you got pre then you've got like three months that you're building sets and making vehicles and doing all this crazy stuff and then you've got a very intense six-week shoot because it's like a full feature with a lot of complex action sequences and they've got like 30 days to get everything Um, so, you know, you've got to still have the energy for that. And so I think like one of the things that I really learned was to be, to be flexible with deadlines and to, you know, you you say like this, this has to be done by a certain day. That's the day that we've decided that day's tomorrow. It's clear that that's not going to be done by that day. That's fine. Let's, you know, say that we're going to have three extra days to work on it and maybe we'll get this person to start on this other thing at the same time and we just move things around. Maybe something that we hoped would be done by the time shoot starts 
that's not going to be done by the time shoot starts. Let's remove that pressure. It's only being shot in week five. We're just going to have to somehow do it simultaneously after they start shooting. If you don't have that kind of flexibility, I don't think it's possible to survive at that level of intensity for that time period yeah. all the way till the end. So, but I think it's an experience thing as well. And I, yeah. it's definitely new for me having that kind of flexibility and learning how to work that way. Yeah. Um, but I think if you put unreasonable expectations on the people that work for you and if you um, mm. if you really push people to achieve arbitrary deadlines that are not reflective of how long something takes and how much manpower something takes, there's all kinds of things. Like we had a set, we had a really big set that was out in a field and we're building it in Australia. So some days it was like 38 degrees and, you know, you'd have this sense of like, we have to go out there and work on it. And, you know, I, you know, I would just be like, it's too hot. So just come down. Like we can't, do you know what I mean? Like it's not yeah. going to be worth it for people to get heat stroke. Let's find something else that was a lower priority that we can work on inside, knock that lower priority thing down. It's drizzling rain. Awesome. Let's like run back up there for two hours. And that's sort of the only way to survive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a good way of breaking it down though. I think, um that's that's just being organized and and as you say flexible because a lot of people don't understand that flexibility i think i think that's also just you, you know a change in habits yeah for sure that is not not necessarily the industry it's just changing your brain and the way it habits things and prioritizes things because it's um the, the the way tv the way my job full-time job works is it, it's always about get things out of the way that are advanced if if they're far enough in advance get them done mm. if you can early enough but also if something comes up like split second because we get things last minute and sometimes you just get it quickly as done um so they don't burn you out yeah and you get it quick and done and dusted that is my mentality now all the time. It's like, because if it's a quick fix, I'll do it really quickly, then go back to the big task. Yeah. But it, you just have to knock out all the small tasks sometimes just yeah. to get to the big one because the big one is, you know, so far away that you're going, okay, they can wait, but then I'm going to knock all of these things and then get back to that. And to anyone out there who doesn't get that mentality, they just go, ah, oh, just, you know, wait until it's last minute and then always do it. It's like, you are going to also die because you haven't prioritized and like thought about prioritizing anything you've just gone oh okay everything's like last minute and you yeah. get, your brain's kind of constantly thinking in a way um i to, think if you sort of survive in the industry which i hope that i will i think you know <laughs> i think you, you do, will hopefully <laughs> i think if you do um you sort of you have to learn those skills like yeah. i think if you can't have that flexible time management and like and and be organized in that way when you're on a project you won't end up surviving either the project will not be done to a good quality in which case you may not get hired a second time by the <laughs> same people or you, it will be done to a very high quality but at a massive cost to your mental and emotional yeah. health in which case you might not be able to continue working so um uh, but yeah, I think definitely if you if you're working in a man management role within film, it just either you acquire that skill or you, it'll end up burning you out or burning your bridges that you don't have it. Yeah, I think I think it's a very um it's a very true aspect of just 
you know, learning about filmmaking as well. And um, you know, the other the other side of the coin is, which is just you know, this industry is made of people who are you know, as we go back to, very insecure. So they're always constantly worried about what they do, um, which I think is another side of the coin. But I don't think I've, I've definitely as a as a producer. Um, like produced before and stuff there is always stuff that I'm learning like still to this day and I will say that to anyone because um, you will learn what works what doesn't work where you should have prioritized before and now you've learned for next time and what you haven't thought about and just just be open to that aspect that you will have not thought of something yeah (laughs) and um and like working uh, again at the moment I'm working with an amazing first AD who literally asked me um, two questions that I hadn't even thought about. And I was like, oh, cool. I haven't even thought about those. Um, awesome. Yeah. Let me go and follow those up. And it's just, yeah, the fact that someone else has brought something to my attention that I hadn't even arisen in any previous conversation is a great learning curve because it's like, then you go and tick those boxes off and you add those to your list next time. But I know like, I know several different producers from different backgrounds, whether it's TV and film or anything. And I think, it's just, yeah, it's just the prioritizing and knowing what works and what doesn't work and then also knowing how involved you want to be with something and then how, you know, you just go, no, I trust that department. They do their job. They'll get back to me when they've got the results and, you know, whatever, you know. Um, well, I think that's one of the really beautiful things as well is it feels really good when this happens because, you know, you 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 love the thing, you care very deeply about it and you feel like you sort of have to oversee everything. Yeah. And then sometimes, like, you know, I had days where it was just like, you know, I like today I just have to take an early day because I just do like I'm tired, I'm done, and I, I I don't have the brain power to continue making these kinds of decisions, and I can't like I'm just yeah. out of fuel, so I'm, you know I'm leaving at three or whatever. It didn't happen much, but it definitely happened. And then like it's an amazing thing to sort of let go in that way, and then come back and be like, oh, it was done perfectly because like you can trust the people yeah. that you work with and like you just have the respect for them and they care and they love it too and they would just get it right and that's so so good um it definitely can go the other way <laughs> i know there was but like also you know for me for everyone like i remember one time in particular when we were um scenicing so like you know scenic painting yeah it's like making something look aged or making something look moldy or bloody or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. um so we were scenic painting all the vehicles because like you try as much as you want to to be organized but you know we just had so much to do and it's like all these vehicles have to be done by like tomorrow or whatever and they're done they're built they look great but they haven't been scenic painted which is like the the little icing on the cake it actually takes a lot of time and care to do it really properly um and the like tim who was like my art director wasn't there that day i don't remember why like maybe he wasn't feeling well or whatever if there was some reason why he couldn't be there yeah and it was like me and um jason tully the props builder he's an also a very talented guy and we just had like it was 6 p.m and we're like all right we're just gonna scenic five vehicles we're both exhausted you know, this is like the weekend before shoot and we just decided we we just pushed ourselves we, because i think we were too tired to be flexible in that moment you know like we were too tired to be like you know, we can't do this right now. What's yeah. the solve going to be? We're just like, we got into the mentality of we have to do it. And we just pushed and tried to do five vehicles in two hours. Um, and I was working this Saturday as well. And then I came and the team who's art directing came as well. And he's just looking at all these vehicles and he's like, S is crap. And I like look at them and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, and that's kind of, but then like, 
you know, we just solved it because that's what you do. Like you're just standing there looking at it being like, all right, this sucks. Like what do we do to solve it right yeah. now? You know, let's get out the gurney. Let's like wash all the scenic king back. Let's think about how to approach it differently. Um, and yeah, we, we got it to look good, but that's definitely the converse. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm not going to be there that day. And then, you know, you come the next day and you're like, oh, a disaster. Yeah, I've um, got to fix. <laughs> yeah, a disaster I've got to fix. But um, but yeah, I think if you've got that good chemistry with the people that you work with and, and you, yeah. you gel together well, then, you know, you sort of can... I think it's also interesting. whatever. Yeah. And it, at you. I think it's also the one thing that, you know, like situations like that just happen so often. And it, it 100% is right when you've got great chemistry between people because they just go, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll make we'll a solution. We'll sort it. We'll make a solution for it because at the end of the day, they, in, you know, this is the thing is also this industry is made of people that you enjoy working with and you enjoy, like, as we talked about at the beginning, like you just want to always bring back because one skill level, two, the personality and three, yeah. like chemistry with everyone else. It's just, it, it's a combination of things. And I think um, the one thing that I love hearing is when everyone goes, oh, that was a positive set or that was like a really yeah, great experience yeah. because it, it can be the most exhausting thing. But you, at the end of the day, you're still smiling. You're like, okay, cool. I can take five now. No, I did a killer job. Yeah. Yes, there were hiccups along the way, but I did a killer job and I didn't burn myself out going, oh, God, every second. Like um, there were a couple, you know, th- those are the things that I think people just really don't realize are the fun. And you keep going back to it. Like this is the, the, this is the other side I love, which is like the lunacy yeah. that is filmmaking. And we all go, God that, was, God, that was exhausting. I need five. And then you hear another one you go, well, I'm coming back to the next one. Yeah, yeah. It's just like we just go through this. Um, Someone described it to me as like th- this perpetual torture that you just love throwing yourself through and yeah. just having this – um heaps of fun but you just also get like cranky when things don't go right or whatever but you've just got to make it work and fix it all the way so i think there's a like a lot of a lot of like positivity that comes out yeah i don't know if i find filmmaking fun like i think like fun <laughs> fun's like an interesting word that gets thrown around a lot because i like hear a lot of people being like the main thing is that you have fun or like i i have fun doing this or whatever yeah. i don't think i find filmmaking fun like i think i find filmmaking unfun like it's very um it's very stressful it's a lot of very hard work but hopefully if it goes well it's satisfying mm. which it is almost like I would say it's easy to have fun, but in a way it's kind of easy to have, like if you have good friends, if you have good company, you know, you, you can do whatever, yeah. but it's hard to find things in life that are satisfying. And I think like that's sort of why we come back to it. Like a lot of people don't have much in life, if anything in life that's satisfying, like they don't get job satisfaction. They might not get satisfaction from their personal relationships. There's like a lot of people that that's very common. And mm. I think like, for us, you know, it's like finding uh, something that's creatively satisfying, something where you, you put in so much work, but at the end um, you've done something, <laughs> you've said something, it yeah. like means something to you and you get satisfaction from that. And I think that's why people keep coming back to it. It's kind of like those guys who are just like into climbing Mount Everest or climbing those yeah. like massive unclimbed mountains. I I mean, I, it's, I'm sure I've never done it, but I'm sure it's like, it's, I know it's very dangerous. I'm sure it's like incredibly hard work, but then you get the satisfaction of standing on top of the mountain and having the view. Yeah. I think it also goes back to what you said about f- film, reading scripts and filmmaking and knowing, 
knowing when people have the budget and when they don't have the budget and being able to say no. Sorry. <laughs> being able to say no um, in terms of some projects where you just go, okay, they don't have the budget. Like whether or not it's a good script or not, they just don't have the budget and I've got to let that one slide. I think it is a really mature – because there's a certain point where you – like I think – most people when they start coming out of uni and, or acting or whatever, they say yes to so many things yeah. and you do fall into that trap of working on really bad short films or really bad things that kind of, they mean well. And this is the thing, student films mean well. Mm. They really do. But they just don't have the skill sets to make it efficient. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Um, especially when you realise your skill sets are actually here versus everyone else you're on set with is who is here. And the one thing someone said to me recently, which was, you know, she said to me, she was like, I don't want to go to a set and have to teach people. Like, I don't want to be that person where I have to teach everyone. I don't mind teaching, like, small bits and pieces of what someone doesn't know, but I don't want to be the teacher to teach everyone how to do their jobs. Yeah. And I think that's a very valid thing of going, you don't want to go to a set as a soundie and go, Oh, I have to teach everyone, you know, you know how to speak, and you know what's the right way to sound, and you know, don't do that with your shirt when they've all come from like, let's say, theatre backgrounds. They've had no experience with film, so they've all like actors. All the actors on set are theatre kids, so they've just only done theatre. And it's like, okay, well, your mic needs to be here. Oh, why? You know, all these kind of questions that you get, and you must go, oh, okay, well, like, let me explain it. And go. So there's always like these things about like, you know, I think one of my favourite things is, um, you know, script. Scripts advisors or Conti's love them to bits. They're my favorite people as post world. Yeah. Because they just go, oh, okay, that's, you know, they've held it with their left hand and, you know, now they're doing their right hand. Next time, make sure you always use your left hand because it will work better in post. My favorite kind of people. Because then when I watch an edit and I go, okay, that cuts, that shot can cut. And I've seen some edits where you just, you don't have a surviving shot or or a director hasn't shot a a reverse or they haven't gotten the close-ups of cutaways. Cutaways are my favorite thing. They are the saving grace of some films because you just cut away to something till you can hide an edit. Yeah, um, yeah. Because someone's not thought about the person getting from there to there. And it's just like all these things that you see it in big budget films and sometimes they've just forgotten a shot or it's been missed or it's, you know, um, uh, you know, multicam setups and they've just, you know, failed to something technically hasn't gone right. So it's always like my favourite where you read the notes and, and you just go, okay, cool, cool, cool. But I've been on sets where no one, like, who, no one has done proper clappers, no one has done, you know, proper sound syncs, you know, the frame rates are off, like all stuff. And I'm just, I'm being in the horror side of that and watching edits where stuff doesn't line up yeah you just go it just being someone who worked in post you just know when people don't have the knowledge and it's not a bad thing but they just don't have the knowledge to benefit themselves and push themselves into the right direction i think my feeling about student films and (laughs) and unpaid work in general um because Honestly, like I would even do a student film now. Like, really? I would, yeah, if if it was the right thing. Like, um, I I mean, I'm I've said no to a lot of paid work at the moment because I'm taking some time. So it would have to be in the right period, you know, in yeah, the yeah, right yeah. quiet spell where it's like I'm I'm in the mood to work. I feel like I want to work. There's nothing I'm looking, and it it would definitely have to be something with enough budget. But so like I've done three. I did three student films. Um, and I'm not giving student films, by the way, a bad rep or anything. Oh, no, no. But the way that I feel about it and unpaid work in general is that yeah. you, 
you shouldn't do something that's you shouldn't ever do something that's genuinely unpaid it might not be paying you money but if you've said yes to working on it you have to know exactly what your goal is of what you want to get out of it because like if you don't have a very clear idea of what you want to get out of it and then succeed in getting that thing out of it you will be dissatisfied you will feel like you've been taken advantage of Mm. and it will be a bad experience so if you've like made the decision to go in as someone um you know, because never having gone to film school for all three of those student films that I did, I was technically like a working freelance professional that was getting paid to do other things um, and working with people who were studying. But if you know like exactly what you want and you get that out mm. of it, then it's, a, you know, so for example, the very first student film that I did was a really great experience, um, but it was just, I'd never been a head of department and I picked a film that was literally just dressing and a apartment two different ways so it was just an apartment that had to look one way and then we're filming the same apartment later you know whatever 10 years down the track and some different people are living there and it's different Mm. and you know sounds pretty simple for everyone anyone that's done art department you know it's just a dress as there's no element of build or anything um you're just sourcing the set dressing and the props and packing them into a van and taking them there and dressing and redressing or whatever. Um, But like for me, that was like a huge step up. That was a huge skill up from like Mm. having just been an illustrator that had volunteered on a few things um, to actually taking charge of someone's script. And it was, you know, two, $3,000 of budget or whatever. Um, And so like, for that, like I was proud of the product. I really enjoyed working with the people, but the product wasn't even what I wanted out of it. What I wanted out of it was like purely the experience of um, managing that sh- small mm. amount of money and um, and just being in charge of it and, and, and delivering what the director was asking for on the script. And then I did that and I didn't do another short film for a long time. I went and I was uh, storyboarding and illustrating and doing that kind of thing. Um, And the next short film that came along, I just, I felt like I'd got everything that I could get out of doing a little dress. Mm. And I wanted to do something that was a set build because I wanted the experience of a set build. So people would sort of like offer me stuff and I'd be like, nah, not that because that's not the thing that I want. And then um, this film came along where I had maybe, you know, it was, it was because of some concept art that I'd done that I sort of got my foot in the door for something like this, which even though it wasn't paid, it was like a 20 20 25 grand budget just for art department so which is pretty big like it's not Mm. necessarily easy to get on a short film that and i was just lucky like i just knew the guy i'd done some concept art for him before and um he sort of liked my art and he knew that i wanted to production design so he just asked me if i wanted to do this set build for him and then that again i had to build two sets and far out that was a skill like going from like that to doing that 20 30 grand job Mm. with two set builds was the same leap in complexity from going to from where i'd been with ads and shorts and stuff to doing a feature like yeah it was you know i probably like shaved 10 years off my life trying to do that jump but then afterwards having experienced that having worked with someone who was a pretty good set builder and having to manage that money and having like all the bad experiences that come with doing that for the first time with not enough experience to do it. Um, After that, I just felt like I was a lot more competent and I had learned a lot more from that. And then I sort of made the decision that with the next short film that I said yes to, that's like the one where I want it to be like a really good product that I can have something to show. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, people would offer me things and I'd be like, nah, not this, not this. But then uh, a script came along that I thought um, 
I really liked the director and I just thought I, the cinematographer was Tim Nagel as well, who's the same guy who did the cinematography on Wormwood. He's a mm. very good professional cinematographer, not a student. Yeah. Um, the rest to a degree I don't care about. Like what you do as the whole product, but like as a production designer, like if the sound is bad, that doesn't affect your show real. Yeah, but yeah. like what is like the cinematography, the color grade, the edit, yeah, that yeah. stuff. Um, and I just was really confident in all of that. And I also felt like he had enough resources to do something really cool. Um, and so we did that together. And that short film was what led to Wormwood for me because the director of that knew the Wormwood guys and they saw his short film and just the his sensibility and the work that we did for that, that kind of communicated. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that's like, you know, really cool. And so that's how they got onto me. And um Reese, that short his name is Reese Nicholson. Um and we the short film we did was called Pseudomonas. He's like, you know, he's he's a great friend. I, I'm sure we're gonna like keep working together a lot in the future. He was also like a really um big part of Wormwood. He was one of the executive producers on that and you know he just got in to that crew by literally volunteering on chronicle which was their proof of concept short film so it's you know and then like from volunteering on that he met all of those guys you know he's this big part of wormwood so um yeah i think doing the free work and doing the student work can be hugely beneficial but you have to know in your mind what you want yeah and don't say yes to the projects that aren't going to give you the thing that you want that's not to say they're even bad like do you know what i mean it might yeah. be the right thing for someone else for like whatever they're doing wherever they're at in their career yeah but when you say yes to unpaid work that isn't going to give you the thing that you need in your career it's just it's going to be a bad experience because you're not getting paid with money so yeah so you don't want to be in a situation where you work really hard and then feel like you've worked or walked away with nothing yeah no i 100 percent yeah. agree with that you've always got to have some sort of um thing that you get out of it and then whether it's like the, or something for your show reel or something you just got to be like feel just kind of experience that yeah. you want like editing a style that maybe you've never edited before you've never edited mm. comedy let's say and you want to work in comedy so some like short film comes along that's comedic you think the script is genuinely funny and you want to try your hand at some comedy editing that's like a hundred percent worth doing yeah I think I think it's very it's it's very interesting what you know people are challenging challenging themselves on and I think that's the only way we kind of progress progress forward and I do agree with you like student films like do have that ability where it's like what can I get out of it what can I do to benefit um you know one myself and two kind of what can I learn from it you yeah know, what, totally. what new skill sets can I challenge myself from um so that yeah I do agree um that there's like there's there's pros and there's cons yeah and they and that's with every film project ever like there's always pros and cons so i I think that's actually a much better mentality to have yeah um but yeah i want um start starting to uh, like um wrap up uh i could talk to you all day this is literally one of my favorite conversations just listening to someone else have like different experiences but like see where they're all coming from um Yeah, I mean, like, was something that I, I do want to talk about also, like, being in the art department and, and nowadays sort of, like, very much, you know, the industry changing and everything. Mm. What was it like um, being, like, a girl going into this industry as well in the art department? Was that pretty easy for you or is it very much, like, um, a challenge? Oh, I 
it's I, it was something I was worried about in illustration school. I, I asked one of my teachers, who's a guy that I um who I Wayne Hug, who's just an amazing map painter. I've got so much respect for him. He's such a great teacher. I sort of asked him about it as a student, and I sort of voiced that this was something that I was concerned about. Um, and he sort of told me not to worry about it. There were a lot of really good women um, in film. There were a lot of good female production designers that he'd worked for, and he named a few of them for me and sort of. Um, so, I mean, I don't, like, I having had the experience of working both in animation and in live action film, I would say that um, probably it's more of a problem, at least in my personal experience in animation than in live action film. I'm not really sure why that is. It might be because animation's a bit more, it's a bit more of a corporate hierarchy. Mm. It's a bit more of like a, um, you, you know, it's it's more like an office. It's more like traditional in the way that it works. And I guess like having come up the way that I did, not through film school, just, you know, volunteering on different things and doing my own work and meeting people, I haven't had the experience of um going through film in the hierarchical way the more corporate hierarchical way that mm. like a lot of people have you know like you'll be a sort of you finish night or whatever maybe you'll get a job on like a big film like prometheus in the art department and you know you'll work under people and work your way up there's like this old traditional way that i guess it's mm. worked for the longest time um and maybe it's like more of an issue there but i think I think it comes back to that chemistry that we yeah. were talking about. I think like um, it's definitely relevant for girls, but it's it's relevant for everyone. Like you've got to find the people that you have the right chemistry with, the kind of people that are not going to treat you differently because you're a girl or take you less seriously because mm. you're a girl. Do you know what I mean? I, and, and I think those people exist and there's definitely within Australia, there's like a lot of creatives that – um will be ready to take you seriously. So sort of, I guess, don't waste your time. And it can be a hard thing to do, especially like as a young girl to, to yeah. sort of, um, I, I know, I feel like for the majority of this podcast, I've made it sound like I've just never had a bad experience <laughs> with anything. And I can like tell you that that's definitely not true. I've definitely had bad experiences on jobs and, you know, as, as we all have. Yeah. Um, so and I and you can definitely feel like this job that you you know you're 20 whatever you're doing this job and this is the most important thing and this toxic person that's your boss or whatever is the most important person and if you can't impress them and you can't manage to work with them it's going to like ruin your career like this is like a real mindset that people get into and mm -hmm. then they feel like they need to stay in these situations that they really shouldn't be in yeah and I think like just have try to have find the confidence to you know, if it's a sexist situation, if it's a, even just a toxic situation, just like someone that's like not treating you properly, just because you're young and just because you're inexperienced, it doesn't mean that you should be treated badly and just have the confidence to say no to those kinds of positions and say no to those kinds of people and look for the people that you have the right chemistry with because they're out there. Yeah. And, and don't feel afraid because you are a girl. Like, I guess the sexism, it does exist. It probably does exist in film as well. But I mean, I think the worst thing that you can do is just be too afraid to try to follow your dreams and be too afraid to put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I will say that it's a bit of an unfortunate truth that um, 
I think the way that you present, the way that you dress, the kind of like makeup that you put on, all that kind of thing, it's unfortunate. It shouldn't be the case. It definitely changes the way that people treat you. I know that I've like made certain decisions in the way that I present um, just because I find that I'm like treated differently in like small ways that make me more comfortable. So for example, I will wear my hair short always and I just cut my hair because I find that when you have long hair, it's just slightly different. It's not like anyone's, it's not like I've been in a situation where someone's harassed me for having long hair. It's sort of like a difficult thing that you you can't exactly describe, but um, it's just a simple little thing like that where if if your hair's long, perhaps people treat you a bit more differently than if your hair's short. But I mean, it's not even all gender related. Just as an art department person, if someone walks in, male or female, saying that they want to volunteer and they look very clean and they just dress very nicely, they're wearing like a business shirt or whatever that's like tucked in, I will be like, okay, well, you don't have any idea what you're doing. So, you know, if you're sort of like a girl and you rock up to set in high heels, if you're a producer, maybe it's fine. But like, you know, if if you want to work in art department, I think people will take you less seriously but I don't know that it's gendered it's just because that's not really appropriate footwear to be on like a live set yeah um so yeah I guess but you know I I just think don't let it hold you back I think in the end with the right people the people you have the right chemistry with your competency will speak for you so if you were competent and if you're passionate and if you've got like a good attitude and and you've found the right people they'll mm. see that and if you're competent and you've got a good attitude and you're the right kind of person and you're just working with toxic people that can't see that then you know just get the hell out of there yeah basically i think that's like the best like prep talk i just want that on loop for yeah. <laughs> anyone about to enter the industry because um i totally agree with that like it's it's funny expectations um uh entirely you know you know something that um uh just have happen and in my job day-to-day job wearing nice things is not a priority yeah i can just wear t-shirts and jeans to work and that is fine but i see people executive people all the time in suits and um because they meet people they have to go out and present and be the official face to things so in my line of work because i'm always like being behind the scenes i don't have to have the face value um thing whereas like i have to look pristine and i have to look like this i like doing that in general because it's nice to feel nice sometimes but it's not a priority it's not like the forefront and i think that because of this the way you know the way departments are and the way they are i think it's really nice to have that side of it where it's like you can be a girl and don't have to wear you know if you want to wear makeup you can but yeah. it's like don't you don't wear feel clothes, pressured should. and and also wear clothes shoes yeah, <laughs> if you're working in art caps really yeah. but but yeah a hundred percent and i think um i definitely as like a head of department and like especially someone that had a lot of like young people volunteering mm. i do feel like uh part of the responsibility is to like make sure that like everyone does feel safe on the set even if they're just like a young film student that's like come to volunteer um you know whatever they're like a girl or a boy or non-binary whatever Mm. I I would just want people to feel safe on the film set and I don't think perhaps that's just like a slightly different um attitude or way of looking at the world that I might have just having grown up as a girl maybe if you haven't grown up you know, maybe if you've just grown up being very like comfortable in the world, you might not see 
that like other young people can, yeah. can feel unsafe. So, and, and I think like a lot of the time, if young people do feel a bit uncomfortable, they're not going to speak up. So there's definitely like been situations where, you know, I haven't necessarily had anyone speak to me, but you know, I've just been like, okay, well, this is like a, you know, this is like a bit of a ground rule or whatever, right? You know, you're like an older male that's like working here mm. and this is like some film student, some girls that have like come to volunteer. So I'm just going to set this ground rule of like, I, as the boss, would like you to interact with them in this way and refrain from interacting with them in other ways. Um, and I think that's good. I think more people that are in charge and more people that end up in, in roles where they have the power to do that should kind of take that on. Maybe that yeah. would be something that would help, you know, girls and different people feel safer to come up into the industry. But um but yeah, I think you just have to do it. I think you can't be scared, even if it is scary and even if all these things do exist in different situations, you, you can't be scared because if you're talented and you're dedicated um, and you want it, then you've just got to you just got to go for it and you, you can't let those other people get in your way. Do you know what I mean? Like you've yeah. just got to go for it basically oh, and wear closed-toed shoes. Closed -toed. Yeah. So true. Um, I'm, I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining me. This has actually been a blast of a chat and I, I've loved every second of it. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been um, fun. Yeah, it has been. And um, if you want to go, where can people find you if, on socials, like your Instagram or like anything like that? Where can people go and stalk you on the internet? Oh, um, I'm actually terrible with this kind of thing. Like this is actually um, something that I sort of have to improve on. Hopefully after Wormwood comes out, I'll try to have a bit more of a presence, but um, I do have an Instagram. I do have a showreel if anyone's like interested in seeing some of my older pre-Wormwood work and an art station. Um, if you just look up Esther Rosenberg or Ez Rosenberg, my showreel's under Ez slightly oh. more, um, I don't know. In, 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 in <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I chose that name for myself when I was like a little bit younger and I just felt like it was a bit more memorable and, um, a bit more professional than Esther and I do get it a lot as a nickname. So, but yeah, I've sort of come to a place where I don't actually mind being called Ez or Esther, but yeah, yeah it's sort of older showreel. So yeah, Esther Rosenberg or Ez Rosenberg, if you Google that, I've got an art station, I've got a showreel, don't really have a website, but hopefully we'll get to it. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. <laughs> Um, and yeah, if you want to check out more of her stuff, but you can check out more episodes right here. Um, and I'll speak to another guest next week and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye.